All right, um, let's turn to Philippians chapter 3 uh, this morning. Philippians chapter 3. We've got a number of guests with us this morning, and I've had not said any hello to you. Hi, and uh, I appreciate you being here. And uh, usually I think we're a little bit more streamlined. No, we're not. That's about as streamlined as we get right there. So but Philippians chapter number 3. Uh, it's interesting, Justice said what he said during, uh, right after uh, the worship, and you know, we come into New Year's, I was thinking the same thing, and uh, the only New Year's resolution I've ever kept is not making them, so I'm trying to bat a thousand on that one. Uh, I personally have not been one to really make New Year's resolutions, I haven't, and that does, I'm just, that's not the way my mind works. It's okay if you do, uh, there's nothing wrong with it. I probably should be making them in order to try to better myself on a yearly basis, but here we are. And, uh, you know, a lot of the times we, we, there are a lot of things uh, we see in our lives that we want to make improvements. We want to see things better. We want to maybe change direction. Uh, there are habits that we want to get rid of. There's habits that we want to begin. Uh, there's some things that we don't even know that's going on. Uh, and if we're not careful, as Justin mentioned, uh, we will get more focused on us doing a lot of the stuff that needs to be done in our lives rather than Christ. And I know that's the way that I am. Uh, I'm very... You know, I'm never going to, who's ever said, I'm never going to do that again, right? Never going to do that again. That lasted, depending on your, the, the steel of your will, you know, a solid 24 hours, you know. Or, or I'm going to start doing this. Have you ever said that? I mean, let's, let's be honest about our Bible reading. I'm going to read my Bible every single day until I don't wake up in enough time to make it to work for four days in a row. And that, that's just the truth of the matter, right? That's just the way that it is. It doesn't mean that we're bad. It's just that we have such high expectations, they become unrealistic expectations, don't we? Not that reading your Bible is every day is unrealistic. Anyways, we were start reading the Bible before I get myself in trouble with these illustrations here. But in uh, Philippians chapter number 3, uh, we see Paul address... And see, I think just about every New Year time, uh, that I've ever spoken back when I pastored a church uh, on, a, on a regular basis. Every year I preached out of Philippians chapter 3. Now, don't worry, this isn't the same sermon I hashed over, you know, 10 years running or anything. Uh, but for what Paul says over there in those very, uh, very well-known verses, when he talks about his own righteousness, uh, and he talks, he makes kind of like his laundry list of things that were good about him, uh, and how he says, we, I press forward if we're not careful, we can take those things as like a Tony Robbins motivational speech. You know what I mean? That, you know, I'm going to walk 25 miles a day. Well, that's not what Paul is talking about, all right? Uh, he wasn't talking about making sure that you get your finances, your checkbook balanced out this year, which is a good thing, but that's not what he was talking about. And I think a lot of the times, if we're not careful, we will misrepresent uh, the intentions uh, that God has for us in Scripture, uh, kind of like, uh, there's, it's like that, that coffee mug I said, there's nothing, it says something like there's nothing more inspirational than a Bible verse taken out of context. And, you know, it's, it's like Philippians 4.13, you know, two Christian basketball teams come together and they pray, you know, you know God, give us the strength to beat the other one, and you, know, you get it. And uh, so, <laughs> what is God saying to us? I want to read a number of verses this morning before we get into this, the reason why I like to read long passages of Scripture, because if nothing else happens right, at least you just heard 10 verses read at church, you know. So we'll get that part down. So Philippians chapter 3, I'm going to start in verse 1. Uh, he says, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. For me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. Uh, beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the mutilation. Now I have a 
New King James, the Old King James says the circumcision, because he goes on and he says, for we are the circumcision who worship God in the spirit. And here's what we're going to focus in on for the rest of these verses. Who rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. He says, for though I might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so. So you see that word confidence kept coming up there over and over again, right? At least in my translation it does. And he says, this is, my, this is my resume. He goes on and he says, I was circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, concerning the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is of the law, blameless, which is quite a claim. He says, but what things were gained to me, these I've counted lost for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I've suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish. Again, I like the King James ver- version there where he says dung. And uh, that's, you know, rubbish is like, ah, oh, that's trash. I mean, we start talking about dung. Well, that's a different illustration, and I got one for you later to hold on. He says, I count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him not having my own righteousness, and that's where we have a problem. We like to find our own, we like to discover our own righteousness in whatever area, right? Find that to be found in him not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, and that I might know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable to his death, if by any means I may obtain to the resurrection of the dead. So, I want to talk to you a little bit about this verse this morning. Now, as we get going, I want to kind of throw this idea out in your mind. I am a nostalgic type of a guy. I know I probably don't come across that way very often, but I am. Uh, I like looking at pictures. One of my favorite things, matter of fact, this week on a number of different occasions, I went into my daughter Elizabeth's room and showed her a couple of pictures I found of her as a baby, and we quickly discovered why she's refer- we refer to her as Peanut when she was a kid, because she was just like this hunk of baby meat, all right? So and we just refer to her as peanut. I like looking at pictures. I like uh, places I've been that I've connected a certain memory to. We all have those, don't we? I mean, you can think about certain places in your life when you were a kid and where you were at. I like connecting memories with people that I've spent time with, you know? I get around certain people, immediately my memory's jogged about a special moment I spent with them. And I want to introduce you to a guy. I got a, a picture of him up here. This is a guy that I have a lot of special memories with right here. And we'll see if our tech team's got it there. Boom, this guy. I have a whole lot of good memories with this guy. If you can't tell who that is, that's me. All right. This, see how <laughs> Right. Right. That, that's, a, I, that's what Glamour Shots got their idea from this picture. You know, now this guy, uh, some of you know this guy, uh, Ben knows that guy, uh, Daniel, you know that guy, right? <laughs> some of you know this guy, I know that guy really, really well, you know, I was looking through pictures last night and I was like, oh, oh my gosh, that's, that's that haircut, you know, that smooth, but now listen, I get nostalgic when I look at this picture, not because of some kind of physical thing like, you know, hairlines and hair color, that's not what I think of when I see this picture of this person. What I think of when I see a picture of this person is that I know who he was 
and I know who I am. I spent a lot of time with that guy, and he spent a lot of time with me. Now, I don't put that picture up there, and I'm not going to make this whole sermon about me, but I wanted you to make the, a similar connection in your mind with yourself. There's a person that you, of, there's a part of you, a version of you that you've spent a lot of time with. And the version of you of where you're at now, and you look back on that you, and you think to yourself, even though that me's intentions were as good as gold, the methods that that person used to find life were horribly misconstrued. And it's easy for us to Ben and I was talking about this the other day uh, when we probably should have been doing work. Uh, we were talking about this the other day in the office of how when we look at those scenarios, we want to look back and find somebody to fix blame on as to why that person was making the decisions to find life the way that they were. Was it my fault? Was it that guy's fault? Was it that church's fault? Was it this mentality's fault? Was it my fault? The answer is probably yes. All right? There's a lot of problems out there, a lot of things that we cling to. And thank you for removing that. I couldn't take it much longer. <laughs> you know? There's a lot of things, a lot of methods and intentions and you know, facts and figures of Christianity that want to gain to ourselves. Like this morning, my wife was scrolling through Facebook, and she says, I'm going to read you an article that I'm reading called Three Things to Do When Your Faith is Weak. And I was like, just three? There's not 20? There's not five? It's never, you know, it's like either three, five, ten. Why is it never like six and a half? You know, why is it, why is it always like those numbers? So I'm like, oh, just these three. That's so simple. Or you go to church, and they're like, five ways to make your new year better. Just five? Listen, I got ten problems, and five of your solutions are not helping me. We're, we're running 50% right now. And so in Philippians chapter 3, inadvertently, uh, and you know, Paul, when he wrote this, he wasn't thinking about New Year's resolutions. That wasn't on his mind anywhere. What was on his mind was how he went from one version of himself to the current version of himself, and how that current version was thinking about the future version of himself, if I can put it that way. So here in Philippians chapter 3, he reflects on that guy. He takes us on a personal tour and a present tour of his intentions and his methods that brought him to such a place in his life. So let's back up and dissect this just a little bit. Look back with me in verse number 3. The first thing we're going to talk about right now is what, what we, the difference between the old version of ourselves and the new version of ourselves as we grow in Christ is understanding misplaced trust is understanding where and what we're trusting that's not working, that we've not been designed to trust. And Paul points that out because he says over here at the end of uh, verse number 3 when he says that we have no confidence in the flesh whatsoever. Now, he says that before he gets into any kind of a list that he's going to give us. So it would do us well to ask ourselves, what is the flesh? What is that? You've read it in the Bible before, right? Uh, it comes from the, this particular use of the word, comes from the Greek word sarks, where we get the word sarcophagus from, uh, which gives the idea of a, a physicality of death that affects the body. And he talks, so he talks about this idea of flesh. And I've kind of come up with my own definition of it. Hopefully you can use what it is. If you don't agree with it, that's fine. Tell the lead pastor about it. These aren't my kind of problems with heresy. He deals with those things. I just cause the problems. He fixes them. <clears throat> Actually, I do that at work, too. Man, I've positioned myself perfectly in life. I just don't I just realize that. At work, I mess stuff up. Ben fixes it. Here, I mess stuff. Justin fixes This is great. This is great. How did I do this? 
It's like I'm a teenager or something. <laughs> so here's my definition of the flesh. It is a fluid, systems, a fluid system of behavior that I employ to seek to meet my legitimate needs in an illegitimate way. It is a fluid system that I use to meet my own legitimate needs in an illegitimate way. You know, that can look like a thousand different things, can it? And so for Paul, it looked very good because he gives this list of things that he used. He, he gives this list of his insufficient coping mechanisms to be right because that's really what we're shooting for, isn't it? We want to have the sense that we're right. We're right with ourselves. We're right with God. We're right with other people. We're right. Everything's good and right. That's what we want. And then we go about to have that feeling of rightness in a hundred billion different ways that does nothing but sabotage what we're actually wanting. So Paul gives his coping mechanisms for this idea of the flesh. And understand, before I get into it, understand this. There's consequences for every choice that we make, irregardless, not irregardless, just regardless. We had a whole conversation about that one day. Regardless of what our intentions are. Intentions mean nothing. We can get the same consequences for an action regardless of what our, even if our intentions were wrong. We can get the same consequence. We can try really hard to be right, and in the meanwhile, hurt everybody around us trying to be that way. And you know what? We can even end up being right and look back and having stepped over a wave of dead bodies to get there. Paul says over in Romans chapter 8, he says, Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. Now, when he says that, he's talking about literally dying. He's not talking about some metaphysical spiritual death that you might suffer one day. No, he's talking about the consequences of your choices will lead for you to die. That's what's going to happen. <clears throat> he says, but if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. And so Paul goes in and he launches into what his flesh that he had so much confidence in looked like. It might, be, it might look a little different than yours. It might look just like you or us at times, or we might find ourselves in it somewhere. So what is it? I've talked about it enough. Let's just read it. Verse 4, he says, Though I might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks that he may confidence in the, have confidence in the flesh, I more. What does he say? The first thing. He says, I was circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, of Hebrew, of Hebrews, concerning the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which of the law, Blameless. Well, that, that's, that's quite, a, quite a boast, isn't it? You see, because what Paul's doing here is he's saying, these are, the thing, these are like anchors in my life. I threw out into my life and I hooked those anchors to that felt like gave me security. And that sounds very familiar to me, about me, and for me. All right? There are many things that I hitch my wagon to that I feel like are going to give me some sort of security that do not, ultimately. It may feel that way for just a brief moment, you know, and then the wagon comes, un comes unhitched, you know, and then it's just, you know, an absolute train wreck, a free-for-all. It'd be a viral video if you could film it and get it on the Internet at times. And so what does he do? He wants to validate himself. This is how, he said, this is how I used to validate myself. You know what? There is nothing wrong with wanting to be validated. Nothing. It's completely 
normal to want to be validated. God created us to receive his validation. He wants to give it to us, and he does so many times in the scriptures, all over the place. He's constantly validating who we are. Paul was saying who God was trying to say I was was not good enough. Here's what I thought made me good enough. What was he doing here in this list? Paul had learned that his confidence in the flesh was inadequate for a stable identity. See, these are identity statements here. What does he say about himself? He said, he goes all the way back to his birth. He said, I was circumcised the eighth day. Now, we're not going to get too deep into that, all right? You can go ask your mom or dads or Google it. Don't wait, don't Google it. But uh, <laughs> do that. Don't do that. That was a bad suggestion. He goes all the way back. He's like, I've been circumcised the eighth day. You know how much he had to do with that? Nothing. Zero. <laughs> he had nothing to do with it, but he's bragging about it, which was weird flex, but okay. You know, all things you could flex on, that's going to be it. All right. I got you, Paul. At least he gets a little bit more calm here because he says, of the stock of Israel, particularly he says, I'm an Israelite, but not just any Israelite. I'm from the tribe of Benjamin. He's clinging to an identity. Then what does he say? He says that uh, uh, he was a Hebrew of Hebrews. He, look, he was basically saying, I'm the Michael Jordan of Hebrews. That's what he's saying. He's saying, I, when you thought about Hebrews, he was on the front of a box of Wheaties slam dunking a Torah. That was him. <laughs> all right? He got it all right. People look, other parents would say, why can't you just be more like Paul? You know what I mean? <laughs> He's, you know, do you know that Paul had to be able to recite the entire book of Leviticus by the time he was 12? In Hebrew, you hadn't even read the book of Leviticus in 10 years, all right? I haven't either, all right? You're like, you read through, I don't even know what a shoulder offering is, you know? What are the heave? I don't even know what that means, you know? You know, Paul's quoting the book of Leviticus, you know, by the time he's 12. So he's bragging. This is his identity. You know what? I know exactly what that feels like. I know exactly what that feels like. You feel like you've got your, your hands and your mind wrapped around a, this binary religious belief that just makes you okay. And that's what Paul did. That was his identity. He was clean. If you were to take that from him, listen, it would be like going in the nursery right now and scooping up all the goldfish crackers off the floor, all right? It would just be a complete meltdown, all right? It would be bad. It would be like going up and taking candy from a baby, you know? I mean, they would freak out. It would be like not giving Ellie scrambled eggs in the morning, Don. That's what it would be like. <laughs> uh, it, it, it wouldn't go well. And you know what the difference between kids and adults? We just have more sophisticated fits that we throw. That's it. Our, fit, our fits are well thought out. They're very planned, very logical. I have several that I'm going to hit Angela with later, all right? I've got them planned. They're written down. And my mind was waiting for the right time. I'm going to get the thing that I want. You know, that's, what, that's the way that we work, right? Could you imagine going up to Paul and taking away his Hebrewness? But when we read through this, that is exactly what Jesus Christ did to Paul. Took it away from him. Not to punish him, as we'll see in a minute. Paul was getting validation from all these things. Paul learned that confidence in the flesh was inadequate for his spiritual behavior. 
We, we do, Paul would, everything that Paul did in this list, he did so by the strength of Paul. By, by the very will and sh- power of Paul. <laughs> going into the new year, that sounds familiar, doesn't it? I am not going to, and you fill in the blank. You know, I can remember many times, I remember one time in particular, and I think I've already told you a story, so I won't belabor it. But I remember one time telling the Lord, I am going to do this at my church. It is going to happen. If it kills me, it's going to happen. That's what I said. I literally said that in my mind. I thought I was being like hyper-spiritual, you know, like I'm going to lay down my life uh, for my religious organization at the time. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, yeah, if you try it, it's going to kill you. You're just going to run yourself right into the dirt. He wasn't threatening me. He was like, why would you do that to yourself? It was a good question. Took me a long time, and I'm still trying to understand what that means. You know, so here's Paul. He's got his little resume. Something happens to Paul. Acts chapter 7, this guy named Stephen stands up after going to seminary for 10 years. I'm just kidding, he didn't. He's somewhat of a, he was an intelligent man, but he'd never been formally trained. He got up and preached a sermon and the, made the Pharisees, the the, the Jewish leaders at that time, so angry because it focused so much on Jesus Christ that they started gnashing their teeth in anger. And they ran at him and they stoned him. Now, there was a whole lot of things that went on there. First off, you ever see that YouTube video of the guy that lived by the Jewish law for one year? And remember, he like, it, it, was, it was ridiculous. And then he like carried around rocks, and if he saw two people that weren't married kissing, he'd like throw these little rocks at them. I'm serious. It's, it's, it's New York City, people. I mean, come that's just... You guess. Anyways, so he did this, and I remember saying, I was like, he's throwing these rocks at these people. It, it, I mean, they were like little pebbles. He had like a pouch of pebbles. I was like, this dude has no clue what stoning somebody's like. It ain't no joke in Southern vernacular. I mean, they take you outside, put you in a, basically a hole in the ground, and everybody picks up the biggest rock they can carry, and they throw it at you. It's not like, oh, here's one, that's easy. No, I mean, it's huge. And then everybody that is consenting to the stoning, they all pick up a stone as heavy as all of them can carry, and they dump it on the person. I mean, this isn't, they're not looking to send this person off with just some scrapes and bruises. They're trying to kill them with rocks. So in Acts chapter 7, Stephen preaches this sermon They get mad, take him outside the city. They stone Stephen to death. And at the end of that chapter, and I'm giving you the Buddy Revised Standard Version here, straight from the Greek. At the end of that chapter, they make a comment and they say that, and they laid their robes at the feet of one that was consenting named Saul. See, actually, what's so interesting about that statement is, is that that made Saul more guilty than all the people that stoned him because he was the one that got them in a situation to stone him. He is literally standing there with his arms crossed. So back in those days, you know, you're not going to keep your good robe on when you go to stone somebody. you got to get your stoning robe on, I guess. I don't know. So they would take their robes off, and they would put them at the person's feet that told them to do it. All right? And that's where we find Saul, would be Paul, that we're reading about now. So Acts chapter 8 starts off, and it says that, that Paul was... He was, uh, he was breathing out threatenings. Uh, that sounds, I mean, those words like that catch my attention because I've never heard James come up to me and say, I was so angry at work the other day, I breathed out threatenings. You know, <laughs> though he has sent me a couple of pictures that made me think that you may have been breathing out threatenings. 
You know, those, that, that phrasing catches my attention, you know what I mean? Because it's more than just passing words that somebody thought would sound cute right there. No, they were trying to make a point. Paul was beside himself with determination to destroy. He was going out of his way. Matter of fact, by the time we hit, uh, the, I think it's Acts chapter 9, he's carrying letters from all the leadership in Jerusalem up to Damascus to go and jail and kill more people. I mean, he's not playing around. This is this dude's life. He's got everything about who he is anchored in on that. That's his existence. And we know the story. He's on the road to Damascus, and Christ appears to him there just before they get into Damascus. Isn't that interesting, too? Just, the Bible tells us just outside of the city, that's when Jesus steps in there. And he makes a comment to him, and I've got the verse here. In Acts chapter 9, verse 4, Jesus appears and says, And then he, Paul, fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. And he makes this comment. He says, "Is it? it's hard. For, he doesn't ask him. He tells him. He says, it's hard for you to kick against the goads. King James Version says, the pricks. And what is a goad exactly? Well, a goad is like a farming instrument. If you had two oxen plowing, it was basically a big, long, sharp stick. And um, those animals are naturally lazy. They don't want to work. They want to stand around and eat. So you take that stick and you poke them with it while you're plowing with them. Or if they're hauling something or if you're trying to move them, they don't want to do it. You kind of poke them with it. And, ah, it kind of hurts and it gets them to move. We have cattle prods for that nowadays. And you just shock them. When I was a kid, we had cows and it looked like a big giant fly swatter. Trust me, it was not a fly swatter. And, uh, you know, you hit the cows with it and the horses or whatever and they move, you know, because they're naturally lazy. What catches my attention about that is this. Here's Paul, or Saul, I should say. He's got everything hung on this identity. Everything. It's, it's his whole life. is hung on it. And if we were to look at him during that time frame, from Stephen being stoned to death to right outside of Damascus, we would have thought to ourselves, this is a resolute man that has made up his mind, and there's no changing him. That's what we would have thought. But what did Jesus say was happening the whole time on the inside? He felt something poking him, something prodding him. He had letters in his hand to go jail and kill people, but yet something in him was telling him, this is not right. There's something wrong with where you're at. You need this. You need some, we don't know exactly. We can speculate all the ins and the outs of it. When he was quiet, when he was still, when there wasn't all the religious talk around him, the Holy Spirit was saying something to Paul, or to Saul, I should say. Without a doubt, this is the best the flesh of any flavor can offer a person, and that's absolute no rest. Zero. Because when Paul was walking after the flesh, what was he experiencing? Nothing but the Holy Spirit of God turning, trying to turn him, move him. Now think about this. Do you think Jesus was mad at Paul at that moment? I don't think he was. He knew something about Paul that Paul didn't know about himself. He knew there was a Philippians chapter 3 in Paul when Paul was living his life in Acts chapter 9. That's what God knew. 
The great thing about this is that God, God was intervening. Uh, when Paul was at the height of his religious influence and activity, there was an effective interaction of God working in him at that moment. Taking a shot at his built identity, his constructed narrative about himself. So back over in Philippians chapter 3, we see these, these motives and intentions that Paul has, but there's, what God is doing here, he's moving us into places of change, what we call moments of change. On the road to Damascus, Damascus boom, it was a moment of change for Saul, right? He was, he, so much so, he stood up, he couldn't even see, Right? He was taken into the city. Nobody wanted anything to do with him. They're like, yeah, yeah, sure he's blind. Sure he's been converted. Yeah, we believe you. You know why? Because we're going to let him on in here, and then there's going to be a whole army of people that run in here and march us off to prison. It, God had to intervene again to send a guy to Saul. And even then, the Holy Spirit of God gave the man a vision. He stood up, and he's like, yeah, I'm still not sure. <laughs> you know, he was still kind of hitting the brakes. Because he didn't believe that moment of change. And let's be honest, it would probably be pretty tough, wouldn't it? It would be pretty tough. So he moves him into this change. And in verse number 7, Paul reflects back on this. And he says, <clears throat> he says, What things were gained to me? What was gained to Paul? Circumcised the eighth day. Hebrew of Hebrews. Tribe of Benjamin. Persecuting the church. Full of zeal. I was the man. Those things were gained to him. What does he say? He says, I have, now, and note this word, because you're going to see it a few times. He says, I have counted, these things I have counted lost for Christ. Yes, indeed, I count all things lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I might gain Christ. See that word? Count, count, count. What we see going on here is like, and I like things that rhyme, so just amuse me, all right? I called in my mind, I thought to myself, this is Paul's like metaphysical math. He's just doing the math. He's counting. He's not looking at physical. He's looking at spiritual, and he's doing the algebra. I hate algebra. I taught, Daniel's visiting with us. I've known Daniel since he was a teenager. I, poor, I taught this poor kid algebra. Y'all pray for him. All right. <laughs> I hate out. Al- now, Don loves algebra. I can see you getting excited about algebra right now from back here. You're like cross over the equal sign, do that. I hate all that stuff, right? I'm not very good at it at all. And Paul's doing some math right here. He's listing, what, what are these things that gain my, what, are, what am I doing to gain myself an identity? What harm am I willing to do to myself and other people to establish some identity? Or I can count those things for loss, that I might gain Christ. Christ is his identity. See, he moves from that one big... See, this is more than just, you know... My temptation in some of, when I first began to read through Philippians chapter 3 is to just think, oh, well, that was when Paul got saved, and that was the end of it. But he doesn't. He goes on and he talks about more. So does, I don't want to say more, but uh, continuous is probably a better word to use. Because he goes on and he says, in uh, verse number 9, he says, and I want to be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is... Righteousness, which is from God by faith. 
that I might know him. What is he He's talking about continuous moments. Hudson Taylor, uh, the missionary, uh, he called this the exchange life, where you're swapping out. You're giving up for what you have to, to give to yourself for something that only Christ can give to you. It's an exchange. It's not a deal. God's not trying to make a deal with us, you know. Uh, what he's doing, he's saying, listen, this is what I have done. I can't take away what you have done, and I can give you what I have done and what I am going to do. All of us are learning what that's about. We learned what it was initially at salvation. You know, in a very, in a very let's just be honest, when you got saved, it was a very simplistic thing, wasn't it? It was very simplistic. Sinner, Savior, come to Christ for forgiveness. We knew it, yeah. But that's not all of it. It is all of it, and it's not all of it. It's all of it in one package. It's the wrapping, it's the bow, it's inside, it's the box, it's the whole nine yards. We are learning what that is as we grow. And that's what Paul's talking about here, that I might know him. Paul is not saying I need to be, uh, gain righteousness and know him so I can go to heaven one day. That's not what he's saying here. He's saying that I'm willing to exchange so I will know him. Because when we hang on to our identities, when I hang on to my identity, is what I feel like it makes me, me. I miss what Christ says I really am. The more I learn about what Christ says I really am, the better it is. There's rest in it. When I was, uh, <laughs> when I was a kid, I had this, uh, Mom, you remember this one. I had this little stuffed um, dog. Remember that dog? What, what, do you remember his name? Oh, that's it. can't believe you're my mom. <laughs> no, she did, but you remember the dog. He had like one eye, ear tore off, all his fur, skin off the backside of him from doing who knows what. And, uh, but I called that dog Sad Sam, Mom. I need you to write that down. Called him Sad Sam, note to self. Uh, but I called him Sad Sam, and he was a sight to behold. He was pathetic. And uh, when I was a little kid, I could not sleep without Sad Sam. Now, you remember that. I had to have Sad Sam with me at all times. Well, I miss him. He was horrible looking. You can see, because my five, six, seven, you know, 18-year-old mind, I thought, <laughs> just, <yeah. laughs> I'm just kidding. We put Sad Sam out to pasture by then. But, uh, well, maybe. It's not your business. I'm talking. But uh, so five, six, seven years old, I thought to myself, well, hey, Sad Sam's here. If a murderer comes into my room, his eyes are going to fall on the menacing attention of this droopy-eyed little stuffed dog, and his murderous rage is going to be diverted elsewhere. You know what I mean? Because when you're a kid, it's what you think. It's kind of like when I was a kid. Do you ever remember that show came on Sunday nights? It was called The Creep Show or something like that. Uh, at the end of it, it showed this guy opening a closet door real slow and this scary thing. I couldn't sleep with the closet door open until I was like 20. You know, I just was a habit, you know. Because, I mean, if there was going to be a monster that comes in and eats my soul, certainly me just shutting the closet door is going to keep him out of there. You know what I mean? But when you stop and you think about things like shutting the closet door, like sleeping with your foot out of the covers, you know? It's like, you psychopaths that do I'm just kidding, I do that. But, you know, some people, I just, you can't, you can't sleep your foot out. And the monster's going to reach up there and grab your foot and drag you under the bed. It's going to be all over with. But you just slide it under the sheet. The monster's like, oh, man plans foiled, you know. I was that close. I was that close until he moved that foot back under the blanket. You know why we laugh about that so much? It's because it's ridiculous. 
And what we should be laughing about is how ridiculous it is for some of the things that we hold on to, we think, are going to give us the same kind of security as an individual. They're ridiculous. I mean, I, I, I hesitate to make a list because I don't want to miss mine. I'll leave mine off the list, of course, because I'm the one preaching. So... And so what does he say? He says he counts all these things, he counts them as rubbish or dung. Now, another story from when I was a kid. You will remember this one too, Mom, and you're doing a good job. When I was a kid, my dad drove a tractor trailer, and we had this gate system set up. I think you know where I'm going with this. We had this gate system set up where in the mornings he would open the gates, the cows would come in to the barn area and leave. When he came home, I needed to shut the cows over. I grew up on a farm. I know that's a shock to you guys, but I did. And uh, he shut it, uh, shut one of the gates, opened the other one, and that way he could back his tractor trailer in. Well, there's one thing that cows like to do a lot of other than eat, and that is make manure, all right? They're good at it, all right? And so my dad didn't want to back his tractor trailer up past that area and run over a bunch of cow manure. So it was my job to go out there with the wheelbarrow and a flathead shovel. Do you remember this? He used to make me do all I hated it so much. He would go, he made me go out there, and I would have to scoop all the cow manure up out of the driveway. That was a red dirt driveway. Scoop it out of the driveway and take it out behind the scaffolding that we had. You remember the scaffolding? You remember the scaffolding. I'd go back there, and I would dump it out. There was a gigantic pile of manure back there. I mean, it was huge. Oh, dung. Yes, that's it. Going all King James on me, Doug. It was dung. You know what? I never walked up to that thing and said, you know what? I wonder what this pile of dung's got to offer me. You know? I wonder what. Now, I mean, I guess maybe I could have sold it. I don't know. But I wasn't really looking at it to provide me with any kind of personal worth and value as an individual. But that's what Paul said he did with all those things that he found personal worth and value in. He said, when I look at them, it is literally like a giant pile of horse manure that Buddy scooped up. And I'm using some liberties interpretation here, all right? But you get it. He looked at those things. He said, me being the Hebrew of Hebrews, it is like a pile of manure when it comes to real righteousness. Me being from the tribe of Israel, manure, garbage, means nothing when it comes to my personal righteousness, nothing. And whatever we can put in that blank, my identity is blank, is absolute garbage outside of Christ. It can be something that's kind of sketchy sounding. It can be something very religious sounding. It can be anything in between. But if Christ is not in that blank, so to speak, we are literally building our lives on manure. That's, that's tough sounding. I, even when I, even I said it, I was like, oh, gosh, I scratched my brain a little bit, but it's true. We have to see, what, what we need to see here in this is that these things are, see these things more as a provision of gain than solely the pain of loss. You see, so we, we can't have this mentality where like lose, lose, lose. No, there's gain, gain, gain. Because that's what Paul goes on and he says that I might know him and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death, that I might know him and everything that he brings with him in this life and in eternity to come. Jesus said, I, when Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, he wasn't joking. He, just, well, he wasn't trying to sound cliche. 
And I know we've made a cliche because we've got a bookmark on it and our Bible can get stamped in leather with that on the front and all that's fine and well. But it's almost like familiarity can breed contempt when it comes to certain things. You just see it so much, it's separate from what it really means. But when he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, he was saying that everything outside of me is none of those things. It doesn't last. It's not real. It will go away. He's not suggesting something that can be true for us. He's declaring something that is true for all of us. So, and I'm going to finish up. We don't have children's church. I can do this all day. Well, we do have nursery, though, so I better hurry up. Because I'm, I know we got nursery, and I know your kids are well-behaved. They're respectful. They're great. They're probably in there right now playing chess, uh, probably discussing the political environment and the social zeitgeist of the time. But, uh, no, trust me, in there and running amok. All right? So I don't want to keep And if mine are in there, they are, too. Are one of ours in there? Oh, yeah, she's leading the way. It's Lord of the Flies back there right now. So, <laughs> oh, maybe not that bad, but maybe not. So let's, let's move along. Look at verse number 12. What does Paul say about all this? He says, not that I have already, attain, or have already attained, nor am I already perfect, but he says, I press on that I may lay hold of that which Christ... Now, get this phrase. He says, that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. He's saying, we, we would say it this way, I want what Jesus has for me. That's what he's saying there. He says, brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind. Now, I'm going to stop you right there. New Year's, we look at that at a New Year's situation. Which, look, I'm going to forget the fact that I didn't keep my diet. Not what Paul's talking about. I'm going to forget the fact that I, you know, I didn't give money to the church as consistently as I'd planned on. It's not what Paul's talking about right here. When he says, I'm going to forget those things, he's talking about all those things we just went over at the beginning of this chapter. He says, I'm forgetting those things. I'm dead to those things. Those things are dead to me. They're gone. He has, you know what Paul's saying? He says, I have no other options. None. And when we become believers, I don't know about you, I've tried other options before. Have you? I've tried other options. Good, bad, the ugly. All the Clint Eastwood options. I've tried those. They don't work very well. I can't try. I, they, they can't work. They will never work. If they work for me, I've got bigger problems. I've got First John chapter 2 problems. <laughs> If you don't know what that, go read it. You'll be like, oh, those are some problems. I've got those things. Because here's the thing. I'm not one of these people that believe that you can lose your salvation. I don't believe that. Now, if you do, we can argue about it later. It's fine. And Justin will iron out all the heresy. But, uh, again, your fault, not mine. You know what I do believe is this. I believe that ultimately everybody's heart's revealed. Ultimately. It will be known. You cannot hide it. The human heart cannot be disguised for what it is forever. And even if we make it through life disguising our heart as one thing that it is not, there'll be a day when Jesus Christ judges the thoughts and the intents of every man's heart, and the heart will be made known. Paul's heart's being made known here. He's like, I just don't, I don't have 
any other options. Like, it's the only option I got. He says, I forget those things which are behind. And he says, I reach forward to the things which are ahead. I press towards, here it is, the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. The goal is Christ Jesus. That's the goal. The goal isn't the things, so to speak. The goal isn't what I can accomplish, you know, and be, I'm not making myself better. That's not what I'm doing. If I'm making myself better, the Holy Spirit can take a nap. You know, he can just he can hit that time clock in the sky and sit back and say, let me know when you got it figured out. All right? I'm not going to go through all this heartache and pain if you're going to get it figured out on your own. He says, I press towards that goal. He says in verse 15, therefore let us, now here's the key, as many or as mature have this mind. And if anything you think other guys, otherwise, God will reveal this to you. That's how you can know that the Holy, the Holy Spirit of God is going to reveal it to you. It's going to happen. As we mature, we're going to let... Have you ever... The whole, uh, we get this back to the future mentality sometimes where we want to be able to go back and tell... How many songs have been written about that? I wish I could go back and tell the younger me. I think there is an actual country song. If there's not, there should be. And we need somebody to write that immediately. You want know, to go back and tell the younger me something that the older me knows... You know, and then, you know, one little tear slides down your face and your dog runs off with your horse and that's the end of it, you know. Something like that. I'm just kidding. I'm, I'm more of a, I'm more of a, I'm more of a Willie Nelson, Moral Haggard guy. So, I mean, you know, I don't go, that. anyway, so, I can't even remember where I was going with that. But, uh, we want to go back and tell the, the wait, <laughs> Gosh, so many regards right now. Regards, all the letters. I regret all the letters on that one. Golly. All right, you got your one shot in now. <laughs> you know, it, when it comes to this whole idea of maturity, there's, there's two ways you can become mature. You can take a fork and stick it in a light socket and learn, hey, this is going to shock me. Or you could just take the electrician's word on the matter. You know, experience is the worst teacher. She's the worst. He's the worst. Whatever, it don't matter. And Paul's saying, listen, from my experience, this is why I can tell you, though. The Holy Spirit's going to reveal it to you. As your mind matures, you're going to, you're going to see things about our, your personal identity and what you're clinging on to that 10 years ago you would have bragged about in a sermon. You know? And he says, in verse number 16, we're going to finish here. He says, nevertheless, to the degree that we have already obtained, he says, let us walk by that same rule. Let us be of the same mind. He's saying this, don't give up the ground that Christ has brought you through to this point. Don't go back on that. Stay where you're at. Because he's bringing you forward. Listen, Christ's New, Year New, New Year's resolution for you is way better than yours. That is for certain. I, I'm not real sure what mine is right now for me, from him. Um, to be honest with you, it's kind of scary. It really is. Because just like you, I have a problem trying to control things. I know. I'm okay. I have a problem controlling. You guys have got it nailed. I get it. You don't have to deal with it. It's over. You're just like walking on this cloud of faith. 
you never control anything. I, me, I do all the time. Just ask Angela, but don't ask her too many questions. You know, there's coming into the new year. No, wait, there was something I wrote down. I got to read this part. I want to make sure I read this because I don't want to excuse me as I break protocol here. <clears throat> this dawned on me right before I came, and I wrote it down, so I didn't want to forget about it. Yeah, it this is a call for us to re, a call for us to relinquish and receive. It's a call for us to lose but to gain. It's a call for us to evaluate but exchange. See, that's what the new year is about. The new year is not about us determining what those things are because it's already been determined for us. It's Christ. Christ comes in and says, you're otherwise minded. And you know what our response is? That's dung. Now, we think it's gonna, it won't be that easy. There'll be a fight. We'll hang on, we'll hang on to it. But fortunately, he's in this to help us succeed, not to punish us. I am, I am so glad I'm not wrapped up in a way of thinking anymore where God is constantly out to get me. Uh, when I found that old picture, <laughs> I found about a stack of MP3s from me back in the, the, back in the mid-2000s. And uh, I l tried to listen to a couple of sermons, and literally, I just, I, it, was the cr it was horrible. Not because my voice was different or anything of that nature, but the things I was saying, I thought to myself, how many people did I just beat into the dirt with this stuff? Man, I was making CDs and passing it out. I just couldn't be stopped. I was like, I need to just murder your spiritual motivation right now. Here's how terrible you are. Here, take two. They're free, you know? <laughs> it's rough. It was tough to hear it, man. It was tough. So I hope as going to this new year, you'll understand that Christ sets you up to gain. He has set you up to win if we want to use that terminology. I think you know what I mean by it. If you don't know Christ, that's the starting point. If you don't know who Jesus Christ is, you've got a question mark about your sins where there should be a period uh, that they're gone, we can help you with that. If you'll come see myself, Pastor Justin, or anybody that was up on the stage, we can give you a hand, or anybody you know. Let's pray, all right? Father, thanks for loving us. Uh, thank you for uh, allowing Paul to go through what he went through so we... I don't have to learn via the same uh, experiences, but we can get the same benefit of you. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.